This morning we're going to look at the psalm that's based on the song that we just sang. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 46. So if you have a Bible and uh, you want to turn your Bible to Psalm 46, I would encourage you to do so. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your order of worship. The, the passage is printed there. And um, for once, we've been going through the book of Psalms, and uh, every, every week I keep saying, you know, this is another psalm written by David. For once, we're looking at a psalm that's not written by David, and it is written by uh, some guys referred to as the Sons of Korah. And the Sons of Korah were a group of um, Levitical guys who were given the responsibility of overseeing um, elements of worship in the temple by King David and King Solomon. But what makes them interesting or significant as well is their ancestors. Um, the, the guy Korah himself lived during the time of Moses. And um, when Moses led the people out of Egypt and uh, led them into freedom, uh, Korah and a couple other guys rebelled against Moses. And they were like, who you know, made you boss? And they are complaining about saying, you know, why did you know why did you bring us out here into the wilderness to die? You know, we should be in charge. And and uh, and as a result of all of that, God, in a very dramatic act of judgment, swallowed Korah and his family up with the earth, and he was killed, along with the other guys who rebelled. But apparently, some of his children were spared, and they had children, and they'd had children, and and now we have their descendants who probably had a very unique perspective on the holiness of God, on the power of God, um, even on the grace of God. And so they wrote this psalm, Psalm 46, and uh, the, you know, the, the most well-known line from this psalm is, be still, be still and know that I am God. We just sang it over and over and over again. And I realize that as we come here, we're sitting here, and you guys are all pretty still, and you're all looking at me. It looks like you're paying attention, but I realize that uh, for a lot of us, there's probably stuff bouncing around in your head right now. You're distracted, you're stressed, you're worried, you're hurting. Um, And so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take just a, a, a minute to be still and to be quiet before we dive in here, okay? And I know silence is something that maybe some of us aren't used to or maybe we're uncomfortable with, but, uh, but uh, we're just going to spend a minute just in silence and uh, just work at, at, at being still before God. If, you, if your mind runs to something, just talk to God about it and, uh, and ask him to help you to be still and be ready to hear. And I'll, I'll just close us with, uh, with uh, praying for his word. So let's, let's take some time in silence now and let's pray.
Father, it's, it's hard for us to be still before you. But Father, we pray that your spirit would work now in our hearts and you would help us to, um, to listen and to pay attention and to behold you and what you show us about yourself here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen to God's word as I read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is God's word. When, uh, when was the last time you went to Chuck E. Cheese? For some of you, I'm guessing it's been a long time. If you've ever been there, maybe you've never been there. For me, sadly, I go there quite often. <laughs> and quite recently, I affectionately refer to Charles Edward Cheese. That's how I refer to it. But uh, we were at Charles Edward Cheese's like a couple weeks ago. And, um, and the kids, it's, it's funny. You know, I've, I, the, one of the games that, it's, you know, if you don't know what Chuck E. Cheese is, I, I don't know where you've been. But uh, it's... <laughs> It's a place where they serve pizza, but then there's video games everywhere for the kids to run around and play. And, um, and one of the games that the kids really enjoy playing, and I can't understand it, is there's, there's basically a giant hamster wheel. I don't know if you've seen that before, but, but the kids get inside of it, and they hold onto these bars, and then they just start running in place. And they just run. And the faster you run, there's this like, little counter that like, gives you a higher score. And so the counter goes up and up and up, and they're running and running and running, but they get nowhere, right? They're going nowhere on that thing. I do not understand the, the attraction of that, of the giant hamster wheel. Um, but I guess maybe it makes sense because I think it, ref it reflects a compulsion that all of us, all of us live with every day. Um, as human beings, as human beings, I think we, we have this compulsion to run, to work really, really hard, to put a lot, of, a lot of effort into trying to be successful in life. Whatever our idea of success looks like, we work hard and we run and we expend all sorts of energy and we tire ourselves out. And maybe our counter goes up, it looks like it's going up, but we, we, we're getting nowhere near what we really need and what deep down we really long for. We think, if only I try hard enough, if only I run fast enough, and in the, face of, in the face of our efforts to build ourselves, to build our lives into something that we want, 
God says here in Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, be still. In other words, well, he actually says, stop. Stop. You know, a lot of us know that verse, be still and know that I am God, and, and we kind of like, we have this, this nice kind of view of it, thinking that it's just this God's invitation to just relax and, and trust him. But actually, the way that the, the Hebrew is written here, it, it, it's more of a rebuke. He's saying, stop. Stop trying to work, trying to get what you think you need. Stop trying, you know, stop flailing about. And instead, know that I am God. I am God, not you. Stop. Be still and know that I am God. And, and what I want to do briefly this, briefly this morning is just look at three images that God gives us in this psalm to understand a little bit more of who he is and why he urges us to stop. And the, the, the three images are these. They're, they're a God as a refuge, God as a river, and God as a ringmaster. A refuge, a river, and a ringmaster. So the first, I see the, ribbage, the, the, the image of a refuge. Now, the very first line says, God is our refuge and strength, right? God is our refuge and strength. What, what is a refuge? A refuge is a place that you go in order to find shelter, right? A place that you go in order to find protection from the elements or from something that is chasing you or something that is threatening you, right? Uh, one example of a refuge is a fortress, right? He mentions that God, the God of Jacob is our fortress twice here in this psalm. There have been all sorts of different kinds of fortresses throughout history. You know, there's all sorts of castles built all over, you know, on top of cliffs that, you know, protected certain countries. There, in, in the, um, the old frontier days, they would build forts, right, where the army would, would station themselves. And if you were being chased by any kind of bandits, if you could make it inside of the walls of this fort, you would be safe. You would be secure. Um, of course, there's Superman's Fortress of Solitude, Right? Um, where it's, it's, you know, it's secluded, it's safe, it's a place of sanctuary where he knows that he is secure. Um, that is what a refuge is. A refuge is a place where we are secure, where we, where we experience safety, even in the midst of things that are scary, in the midst of things that are painful and hard. And that's exactly what God presents himself to us as here in Psalm 46, right? He is a refuge, he is a place of shelter. He is a place of safety. He is a place of security. Even, he says, in the midst of catastrophic events, right? In verses two and three, he says, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, that sounds like something very dramatic, doesn't it? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, in the midst of all of this immense catastrophe, it says that God is our refuge, a very present help in trouble. And therefore, the beginning of verse two says what? We will not fear. We will not fear, no matter how scary everything is around me. I'm not going to be afraid because God is going to protect me. God is with me. He's going to be, I love the line, he is a very present help in trouble. He is present. He is here. And so that's all fine and good to say that God is our refuge, but, but what does that really mean practically? Because we know that as we live life, there's all sorts of stuff 
that it feels like, I, I don't know how God is really protecting me in the midst of this. I mean, Chuck just prayed for um, G. Kim's brother, Jacob, and his family. Um, if you didn't, hadn't been on the prayer chain, the, their, fa- their house burned down last night. That is an awful, awful tragedy. And thankfully, everybody got out safely, right? But, but what does that mean, that God can be a refuge in the midst of that? I mean, I think Psalm 46 doesn't paint, uh, you know, like a rosy, perfect picture that, that like, it, God being our refuge means that nothing bad is going to happen. It, it still says that, that mountains may be moved into the heart of the sea. You know, we're going to experience things that shake us to the core. Nations rage in verse 6. Kingdoms totter, right? There's all of these things that, that could possibly fall down around us. So what does it mean that God is our refuge? Well, I think one idea we, we have to remember that, that God is absolutely our refuge in the eternal perspective. That everything we experience here, right now, in this life is extremely temporary. But ultimately, for those who trust in God and seek to find refuge in God, know that for eternity, we will experience safety and security. And we have nothing to fear about death. We have nothing to fear about what comes after that. But I think there's also a reality to the fact that right now in the present, there's a real mental component to experience security. Um, that if, even if my house burns down, even if things fall apart, even if I lose things that are dear to me, if I will run to God, it is only in God that I can find a sure footing in the midst of all of that stuff. That I can find like, a real sense of the fact that, that I'm gonna be taken care of. He is a very present help. We try to find refuge in all sorts of things, right? We find, try to find security. We spend our lives like working really hard to make ourselves safe and secure. We put all sorts of work. We work, we work long hours at jobs that are really hard and difficult in order to get paid, in order to make as much money as we can, thinking that if I have enough money in the bank, that will keep me secure. I'll be able to handle whatever catastrophe comes up. Or we, you know, as we, as we, those of us who have little kids, you know, we try to structure their lives. We try to make rules. We try to like control every variable possible so that everybody's safe and secure. We work really hard at it. Or we just try to control our life in general. We try to make sure every variable of life is locked down so that nothing can go wrong, so that we're going to be safe. But the reality is, is that no matter how hard we try, we can't keep ourselves safe. And the only one who is able to really wrap his arms around us and let us know it's gonna, it's gonna be okay is God himself. He is a refuge. And we need to run to him. The second image is of a river. Verse four says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now throughout history, if you went to social studies in fourth grade or whatever, you know that, that often cities are built on rivers, right? They're built on rivers for a reason because often the ground around the river is more irrigated and, and fertile and also it's, a, it's an avenue that, that people can use to, to travel and, and, may, and trade with other places, right? So it's a, a river represents provision. A river represents life, right? 
And so it says here, there's a river whose uh, streams make glad the city of God in verse four, right? And the, the interesting thing is when, when he talks about when, when the sons of Korah refer to the city of God, the, the Israelite who's reading this immediately thinks, okay, the city of God, he's talking about Jerusalem. That's the city of God. The weird thing is, is that there is no river in Jerusalem. You realize this, that Jerusalem was built not on a river. And so what river could they possibly be talking about here? I think they answer the question in verse five. God is in the midst of her. He is the river that brings them provision, that provides for all of their needs, that gives them life, that makes life fertile and healthy. God alone is the river who gives them life and who gives them joy and gladness. In Jeremiah 2, the, the prophet uh, in Jeremiah 2 rebukes the people at that time for committing two sins. He says, you've forsaken the spring of living water and instead you've dug out cisterns, you've dug out wells that can't hold water. And what the, what the prophet was um, rebuking the people of Israel for at the time is that there's, he, was, he was saying, look, God is the only one who will really sustain you. He is the spring of living water. Do you want life? Do you want to be full? then you need to, to, you need to, to put your, your roots down into the, the living water of who God is. And yet you haven't done that. You've turned away from him. You've ignored him as the one who will ultimately sustain you and bring you life and bring you joy. And instead, you've tried to dig out your own cisterns that hold water. And we do the exact same thing. We, we, we turn to all sorts of things that we think are going to fill us. What are you turning to? in your life that you think is going to fill you, that you think is going to satisfy you, that you think is going to bring you life. We all turn to all sorts of things that we think will give us life, but it's really God alone is the one who can give us life. God is alone is the one who will truly provide for us. He is, the, he is the river that makes our lives healthy, that will satisfy us and keep us from being thirsty for more. All those other things will leave us thirsty. He alone is the one who is capable of sustaining the joy that we long for. And so we, we expend all sorts of energy trying to, trying to get life from all sorts of different things. And God's saying, stop, be still, rest in me, rest in the living water that I am, that I provide. I don't know how many of you guys like uh, lazy rivers. How many of you, do you, any, any of you guys enjoy a good lazy river? Yeah, all right, Yes. <laughs> You know, if you're not familiar with lazy rivers, like at a water park or something like that, there's this just, it goes around and around. There's this water that has a current. You sit in an inner tube and you just float and you go and you go and you go. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And it's so relaxing and you just let the water carry you. But the thing that I found is that whenever I go in a lazy river, there's always, always these kids who insist on not enjoying the lazy river as it was meant to be enjoyed. They don't know what it means to be lazy in the river, you know? They don't sit in the tube, they stand with the tube around them and then they like run through the water and they're like pushing everybody and they're like pulling people and I'm just like sitting there and they're like jostling me around, trying to get around me, splashing me, all sorts of stuff. And, uh, and, you know, it's, it's a funny picture of the fact, I mean, that's, that's how we all live our lives. We think, you know, 
Um, we're, we're splashing about, flailing about in the water, just dying for some more entertainment and, and more fun, more joy, more gladness. But what really will give us the joy that we need is if we will just sit in the river that is God himself, if we will tap ourselves into him and know that he is sustaining us, if we will know him better, if we, if we will meditate, think about his love for us, that is what will bring us the joy that will not fail us. We need to learn to just sit and be lazy, resting in the gospel of God's grace. The last image is of a ringmaster. And, uh, you know, the, the first two images were easy. The, the, the R's were there, refuge, river. Um, but uh, ringmaster, I think, describes how God describes himself in the last several verses of this psalm. You know, what is a ringmaster? A ringmaster is the guy in the circus, you know, with a top hat who is like grabbing everybody's attention and, and, and you know, drawing their attention, encouraging them to, to stop and be still and to, to behold, to look at all of this spectacle around him, you know? Um, I immediately think of, uh, of Hugh Jackman in The Greatest Showman. Any of you guys see that movie? You know, he's, he's, he's like standing there. Everyone, look at this. And that's what I see God doing here in Psalm 46, right? He says in verse eight, come, behold the works of the Lord. What is he encouraging us to look at? He's encouraging us to look at what he, has, what he is doing, what he has done. Come, behold the works of the Lord. And then, and then down in verse 10, the verse that, that we all know so well. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Behold, look at me. Look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Look at what I'm doing. Pay attention to what I will do. I will be exalted. And how was God going to exalt, exalt himself? I see two things here. He, he, he's he's going to exalt himself through his power. He's going to say, behold, the power of God. If you look at verse six, seven, or no, verse eight and nine, he says, come, behold the works of the Lord. How is he going to de demonstrate his power? How he has brought desolations on the earth. How he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the fact that he is going to destroy all sorts of implements of war. The Israelites were, were well acquainted with war, with conflict, with death, with oppression at the hands of other nations around them. Everyone was well acquainted with war and difficulty and conflict. And God says, look, I'm going to deal with it all. I'm going to eradicate all war, all conflict, all pain. I'm going to destroy it all by my power. And your future will only be full of peace. That's what God promises to do here by his power. He says, by my power, I'm going to exalt myself. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to give you the future that you long for. The future that you need. A future that is, that is free of pain and loss and death and war. I'm going to deal with it all. But then he also, I think, says, I'm going to exalt myself by showing you my grace. By showing you my grace. 
He draws our attention to his grace. He says, be still, I will be exalted. And then at the very end in verse 11, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And he, he's, this is the second time that he said the God of Jacob is our fortress here. Um, we talked a little bit about what it means that God is our fortress, but, but why does God refer to himself or why, why do the sons of Korah refer to the God as the God of Jacob here? You know, they could refer to him as a bunch of other things, but why do they say the God of Jacob is our fortress? Well, Jacob was one of the patriarchs of the Israelites. You know, there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you know anything about Jacob, you know that Jacob was an absolute mess. He was a mess. His, the, the name Jacob means one who grasps, one who, one who kind of tries to, to lay claim, tries to, to grab on to what he thinks he wants and he needs. And, and they gave him that name because he was born as a twin and his brother Esau was born first and he came out holding on to Esau's heel. But that actually described his entire life. Jacob lived his entire life manipulating people, deceiving people, trying to work as hard as he can, could to, to be successful and to, and to be wealthy and to get everything that he, he thought he deserved and he wanted. He lied to his father, he cheated his brother and there's a moment where he runs away from home because he's afraid his brother's gonna kill him. And on his way out, he's going to another relative's home far away, and, and as he's traveling there, he lays down in the midst of the wilderness and puts his head on a, a rock for a pillow. And in the midst of that, as he sleeps, God gives him a vision, gives him a dream, and God appears to him with, the, with this dream of a, of a ladder or a stairway to heaven where these angels are going up and down on this, heaven, on this ladder, up and down to heaven, and God speaks to Jacob in Genesis 28, and he says, I am going to bless you, Jacob. I am going to love you, Jacob. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to give you all of this amazing stuff, and I'm going to be with you, Jacob. He does all of this while Jacob is lying there still, sleeping. After Jacob has spent his life just trying to grasp onto, onto life, God says, I'm going to give it to you in spite of the fact that you don't deserve it, Jacob, in the way that you've lived. Does Jacob change? Not really. He continues on and he, and he, he continues to try to manipulate things and, and become wealthy, but he's also cheated and, and he ends up you know, getting married and having a bunch of kids and, and he, he's returning home Many years later, and he's, he's returning home to, about to face his brother Esau, and he's desperately afraid that Esau is going to kill him. So again, he's trying to orchestrate things. He's trying to manipulate things so that he can survive. And so what he does is he's getting ready to, to, to meet Esau, and first he sends Esau all of these gifts. He sends all of his family ahead of him, all of these wives and his, and his children. He sends them ahead of him, trying to, to maybe humanize himself or, or, or get Esau to have some compassion on him. He's, he's trying to work the system. And again, he's left alone. And you know what happens when he's left alone in Genesis 32? An angel comes, and, and he actually ends up wrestling all night with God. And again, he's, he's trying as hard as he can to, to hold on to God and to hold on to life, and, and he won't let go, and he won't let go. And he's like, I'm not going to let go unless you bless me. And then you know what God does to him? He just reaches out his finger, and he touches his hip, and he wrenches his hip out of its socket, that's got to be painful. And what does God do? He renders him immobile. <laughs> you know, not the nicest way to say be still. But again, God's saying be still. Stop, Jacob. 
I'm going to bless you. I'm going to love you. Even though you deserve so much less, you don't deserve my love, Jacob. And that's, I think, what God is saying here with the sons of Korah. You know, the God of Jacob is our fortress. He's a God who delights to pour out his grace on those who don't deserve it, on those who continue to scramble for life, which is what we all do. And he just says, stop, stop, and let me love you. Be still and rest in my love. By referencing Jacob here, I think God, the ringmaster, is saying, be still and behold. Look at my power, but also look at my grace. My grace that loves the unlovable, that loves those who insist on scrambling for security or digging for water and joy, but who can't get it. Be still and behold what I have planned for you and for your future. Ultimately, this is the cry I believe Jesus makes from the cross to all of us. Be still. Jesus came and did everything we need to provide a way for us to be forgiven and loved by God. And he says to us, be still. My sacrifice is enough for you. Be still. My love is enough for you. Jesus is the very present help in times of trouble. He is the one who makes glad the people of God. He is the fulfillment of these words. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is Jesus. And so that is the task before us, to be still and to behold him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us We need you to open our eyes, we need you to calm our hearts, and we need you to help us to behold Jesus in all his glory, the fact that Jesus alone is the refuge for us, that that protects us, that's a shelter for us from the consequences of our sin, but also who shelters us in the midst of of, of, of mountains falling into the sea in our lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to behold Jesus as the one who is the river of living water, who makes our lives healthy and fertile and fruitful to bless the world around us. Help us to be still and to behold Jesus, his power, and yes, his love. Help us to sit in the lazy river of the love of Jesus today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now have an opportunity to meet Jesus at the Lord's table, and we're gonna take a moment to confess our sin, to confess our need for him. I mean, one of the things that the table does is that reminds us of